Hello, and welcome back to Drag Time with Heclina. It's episode 16, and I just cannot wait to introduce our guest today. She's an actress, a director, a singer. She's, uh, well, John Waters calls her a sexual terrorist. We just call her our favorite American pop icon. But first, I want to take a moment to tell you how much we appreciate you, our listeners, because of your social media shares, word of mouth promotion, and the simple fact that you keep tuning in every week, our show's off to a very exciting start. Now, remember, the more you let people know about the show, the more fun we have. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, rate our show and leave us a review. Visit the website, dragtimewithheclina.com to browse past episodes, leave comments on specific shows, and thank you for the tips. You can find us on Cash App as Drag Time or find other ways to support us. Now, onto the show. So this is somebody that almost needs no introduction. Uh, I have admired her ever since I saw her in Serial Mom, and uh, I was also a club kid back in the day. So she was a she was big in the club world with her with her music. One of my earliest memories of her was when I was bartending at the stud bar, and she was at the far end of the bar where I was working. She was standing there with Chaz Bono, and she was making out with a really hot guy. And I was like, oh, my God, it's Tracy Lords. And I'm sure she doesn't remember this, but she autographed a cocktail napkin, and I treasured it forever. And then I was so happy to actually get to know her and work with her once I became a drag queen. Anyway, I'm a fan, and I know you guys are all fans. Please give it up for Tracy Lords. Hi, Tracy. Hi. Thank you so much. (laughs) That's so funny. I remember the cocktail napkin, but I don't remember the hot guy. Yeah, you were you, you were you were yeah, you were drinking um you were drinking I remember I was making you vodka sodas and you were standing there with Chaz Bono and you there was a hot like Italian kind of guy that you were making that with. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Was that the boyfriend? That was the boyfriend. Yes. Okay. <laughs> How are you, honey? I'm doing great. I've had a wild day. I was today was my first day out of quarantine in three months, I guess. I mean, I've done like little mini kind of you've got to go to the market and so you put on all your gear and you go. But mostly it's been ordering like Instacart and this and that and and just trying to lay low and and, and stay healthy. But today I had my first photo shoot because I have publicity I need to do for my next show. Um, so it was, it was just really, it was, it was odd just having someplace to go in the morning and the, the, my, my phone ringing, alerting me and me thinking, what is that? What is that? Oh, right. And the realization that I'm leaving my house and what's it going to be like? Yeah. That's weird. So, isn't it? It I was mean, weird. Yeah. yeah. But I, in a I, good way. I got very oh, excited. Totally. Yeah. I was like, oh, God, glamour. Yes. It, <laughs> it, it really is the little things. I, I got super excited here when I when I went out to my first restaurant after months of, uh, you know, of not being able to. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I haven't ventured forth yet. No, I know. I'm it's, still. Yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of people are still uh, they still have, you know, the heebie jeebies around the whole thing. And that's totally understandable. Mm-hmm. But but, you know, people just have to take their own risks. And, you know, it's it's odd that, that just going out to a restaurant and being seated at a table and having people wait on you is considered something that's really risky. But that's where we are. I talked to you on the phone, I think, a couple of weeks ago, and, and you, you were kind of filling me in on your quarantine. Now, a lot of people don't know this about you. Um, but well, cause you're a private person, but you are a mom and you're actually homeschooling your child. Is that right? 
yeah, it's been it's been quite the experience. I think that you know this is what's happened to all parents. Right. Um, you know, schools shut down. I actually took my my son out of school a week before they officially shut it down because I thought this is I don't know what they're waiting for. This isn't uh-huh. good. Right. And you know, at the time, I mean, we still don't really know what's going on. Um, it changes daily. But yeah, we finished out the year online and it was really something so i mean i've been while i've been in quarantine i've been acting every day because i play the role of a chef a teacher a housekeeper a dog walker you name it many different hats um but you know he's he's in the sixth grade he's 12 years old Mm -hmm. and he's incredibly bright and he's you know really into um his studies in school and he's really good on his computer and all those things but i think that you know, I had to take a tutorial and try to remember, wait a minute, what did the, the algebra in the sixth grade and what is this? And I mean, it just was like, you forget those things. At least oh. I did. Well, and yeah. yeah. So the first three days, I really just wanted to jump out the window. I was like, this is just not going to happen. And then I started thinking, wow, you know, how have I dealt with obstacles before with my son, because of course they're their own little people and they start saying, you know, you hear your words coming back. And so it's that old adage of do as I do, not as I say, which is like hilarious. My son is very cheeky and he has a great sense of humor and he was incredibly frustrated though with the process. Um, Just didn't have the patience for the Zooms, hated them, really hated them. And Mm -hmm. then I found things got a lot easier once I just started bribing him. You've got to do this and then you can have this. And And so it was much more manageable that way Mm -hmm. but during it the first few weeks I was actually auditioning online um you know submitting the auditions kept coming at first Mm -hmm. and so I booked the project I'm getting ready to leave the end of July. That's a whole nother thing. I don't know if you've been flying, but I haven't been flying. So I've not, my, yeah. Yeah. So I'm pretty terrified about that. I've been reading about it and asking people and I have friends with different experiences, but I'm nervous about it. But at the same time, this is a role that I really wanted. So I was just really happy to, you know, submit digitally and then end up, you know, being chosen. So it's, that's exciting. I'm supposed to go and film in Indiana. I did the publicity beginning publicity shots for this morning. Uh And it's, you know, it's been hard to wrap my brain around that as well, because, you know, when you start to prepare something and break it down, you spend a lot of time reading about the character and figuring out what you're going to do and Mm -hmm. what is, what's the look and all of those things. And you get excited, but it's been hard to take seriously because of what's going on in the world. You're like, I'm I think I'm going to do this. I guess we're going to do this. We're really going to do this. Is SAG saying we can do this? I mean, it's just all of these thoughts, which is kind of, you know, and how is it going to be safe? Like all of those things come to mind this morning when I did the the, the shoot this morning, the photographer was in a a mask and gloves. Um, There were only, you know, two other people on the set. Makeup was before one person did both hair and makeup. It's like Mm -hmm. all of that, all of that stuff. It was just it was very different, but I felt safe and it was outside, but mm. still it's like, okay, uh, you don't really want anyone to touch you. You're worried about like all of these things. And it's, it's terrible because as an artist, especially when, when you're, when you're acting pictures, okay. One thing, but I'm trying to imagine myself on set with 
thankfully, they're really small crews. And the one in Indiana, I've got two. So the first one that I'm leaving to do, um, it's on a big farm in Indiana. Oh, and okay. So, yeah, it's set in yeah. 1910, which I love the idea of all of that, you know, the corseted and the high collars. And so costume-wise, that's going to be really interesting. You oh, want to wear a corset? You're excited about wearing a corset? Oh, I love the shape of all of those costumes. They're so gorgeous. <laughs> I mean, let's get real. Nobody's excited to wear a corset because right. it's painful. Yes. But, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of an excuse to waste train after quarantine, isn't it? No, mm, oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's like, pull it tighter. <laughs> There's so many things that you said that, that I wanted to touch on. First of all, we talked a little bit about your son and how he's grown up around gay people and, you know, a, a wide variety of, of people, uh, very diverse, and he's very open-minded. How are you talking to him about what is going on in the world right now? The news is not great, you know, about George Floyd and all the protests and and how aware is he about all that? I mean, he's been in quarantine for a few months. Yeah, no, he's really aware of all of it. Um, mm -hmm. The whole thing, when, when things start, whole things happen, happen with George Floyd and just all of the protests and that, that started happening right at the end. We just finished school like two weeks ago. So his teachers were really um, very, very vocal with the kids in mm -hmm. Zoom and talking about race and the reasons and, you know, just what was going on. And, and, and they were, they were writing on this, they were writing about it. That they were expressing themselves that they were really vocal about it and at least in that group of children um they were really shocked they couldn't quite wrap their brain around what is this for him it just all i think he was more shocked by it than anything and quite frankly i was shocked by it that it was just as blatant as it was and and it was, yeah it was a it was a modern day lynching uh, it was place. just yeah, yeah unbelievable yeah. unbelievable yeah. and the fact that you know that we have the 12 year olds and 13 year olds in the world that are saying what is this why is this how is this mm -hmm. it gives me hope frankly but yeah. I, you know i've spoken to my son about the fact that you are uh, you know um a caucasian male growing up in 2020 mm -hmm. you're 12 years old Mm -hmm. I, do you see what's going on and why why people do the things that they do why they say the things that they do why they judge people the way that they do why do they think this about you know um uncle johnny and uncle steve that are married and that's not okay and his aunt Susie and eleanor that are married and that's not okay. i mean all of those things but these are things that we've been discussing since he was really little because you know he had his his uncles around him and his aunts around him. And, you know, they were always affectionate with each other. And yeah, sometimes so-and-so has two daddies and so-and-so has two mommies. It's never been a strange thing for him because right. it's just always been there. Um, that's what's I th important. I think is to that. That's what's important is to teach kids that there's nothing. There's, I mean, kids are taught that things are wrong. Uh, skin yes. color and skin color and sexual sexuality. They're told that that. I mean, I remember my sister once was like, "You, you should stop doing drag because it's a bad influence on your nephews." And I was like, wow. no. I, was, I was like, no, it's your job to tell them that that's there's nothing wrong with it." You know what I mean? It's not my job to to mask who I am. You know all that stuff. So yeah, it's it's really cool. So does he have an uncle? Does he ever see his uncle John Waters? 
We haven't we haven't seen John. Um, of course, he's he's met him over the years several times, but you know he hasn't spent a lot of time with him as of late. Obviously, I, I haven't spoken to John. I like I guess the last email was probably about three weeks ago. So we check in and we 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 talk. Um, he's writing like a, a crazy man right now, which is really right. good for him. But like a lot of us, this is really hard for him because. In particular, I think it's hard for John because he's one of those people that is really an extrovert. He loves being out there on the stage. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, John is on tour like most of the year. He's somewhere doing his one-man show. He writes new books about a book a year so that he can, you know, keep himself going. He yeah. really, really values, you know, expressing himself that way. And he's one of those people that really feeds off the energy of crowds and people. Um, and he's been basically locked in his house. So, I mean, he yeah. sneaks, he sneaks out and careens about Baltimore, but it's, it's, <laughs> he's not having, he's not enjoyed quarantine. Not at all. Uh, well, I think, well, I, I was about to say very few people have, but in a way, I've, in some ways, I've enjoyed it, you know, the whole kind of nesting part. But you uh, you hosted a Burger Boogaloo in Oakland with him. Yes. Two years ago. How was that for you? Fabulous. I loved that show. It was a, you know, it was a great festival. And, you know, John is, he's just a riot. He is just, he's really funny. And we have a really good time together. And then I went and I did, um, he asked me to come and do Camp John Waters. Uh-huh. which was so much fun if you ever get a chance. This year it's canceled, of course. It's usually in September. And, you know, the, um, I was a camp counselor. I think Ricky Lake was a camp, camp counselor last year. Um, so he has different people. Mink Stoll has been to all of them. There have been three. This would have been the fourth, I think. No, this uh-huh. would have been the third. Um, but they're really good fun. So you drive up, and it's just this pristine, beautiful um, um, area with a, you know, big boathouse and gorgeous lake. And you start to see the first sign of Camp John Waters is you start to see the flamingos alongside the road. <laughs> and then you start to see the floating flamingo rafts and you're like, there's a theme going on here. And, um, you know, he's, John's a really funny person because he's incredibly elegant in so many ways, but yet he has, you know, a, a, a sort of a twisted trailer park thing about him as well, but right. he's not, he's not, you know, he, he has a great sense of humor and he may say, you know, I think one of his taglines is that he's the, you know, the Pope of trash, but it's, it's, he's the least trashy person in many respects that I know. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that he, he's very refined and, you know, Mink Stoll is too. Uh, so I, I think, you know, Mink Stoll was obviously in all of these John Waters movies, but, mm-hmm. the wor- but the worst thing you can do with Mink is to walk up to her and immediately be like, you know, be crude or crass or vulgar. You know, she just hates that. Um, I've worked a little bit with her and I've worked with John too. And I think I offended them both at the roast of Peaches Christ because I told a really off-color joke. And I was like, wow, I really offended John and Mink, you know, which is saying something. Yeah, that's um, really saying something. What, what on earth did you say? Well, I, I said, okay, it was, now keep in mind, it was a very, very filthy roast. Well, and, of course, it's peaches. And, and it was, I said, I said, um, I, it was something like, uh, Mink Stoll has done, did more drugs in the, than the, in the seventies than anybody not named Freddie Mercury. And then I said, and then, and, uh, and, and I think of Freddie Mercury, Mink Stoll, and I think to myself, AIDS killed the wrong one. 
And then the whole the whole theater was gasped, you know. And, oh gosh! And, but but we, we were all to, so basically after the after the roast, Mink was like, "You wish death on me." And I was like, oh, honey, it was a joke. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she was probably just pulling on you. No, I know. Yeah. Well, she, we were in Women Behind Bars, you know, this last, we finished it right before this all happened. I wanted to so, ask you about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it was Mink Stoll and uh, Coco Peru and Eureka O'Hara. How was that? I love all of them. And that cast, that whole cast was amazing. Eureka yeah. O'Hara was amazing. And uh, she just did such a great job. Like, truly. She came in, she brought it, she started with a lot. And, it, you know, it just, it grew and grew and grew. And Coco, I mean, please. Oh, yeah. It just a my God, the timing. She's just so good. She's so good. I loved all of them. I loved working with Chi-Chi. I loved working with Susie Kennedy. I, they were just all really great people. The cast was amazing. The show was great. Um, Poppy Fields, I think, is brilliant in it. She played the, the Southern sort of belle in it um, and also was one of the producers on it. And so, you know, I became friendly with, with several of them. And, it, you know, they all have their stories and struggles and it's it's interesting how to watch how people adapt. You know? Right, Coco Peru has been my my uh, my meme partner in quarantine. We keep sending each other memes to see which one is the most disgusting. And- <laughs> <laughs> I totally see this happening. Yeah, I mean she's she's also really really eloquent and very prim and proper and very professional, but she has a dark sense of humor. So we've very dark sense of humor and very, yeah, very elegant. And, Uh you know, just a really a talent, like like you can, you can play with things and you can be crass and you can like when we're discussing John, Mm -hmm. but the bottom line is that, you know, he's a brilliant filmmaker and he's a brilliant writer. Um, And I could say the same about Coco and I could say the same thing about Mink Stoll. So you're talking about people that have done their work. Right. And they, they know the difference. That's, that's what it is. Right. And it's like, you know, Coco is, is, was really fun to, to play with because the timing and the just so fast, so fast on her feet, it was just really a pleasure. So any favorite memories of working on Serial Mom? Serial Mom was like, you know, I was, I was in it so briefly, but that was such a fun scene. And mm-hmm. I love that movie. Yeah. Just the whole, first of all, I love Kathleen Turner and the fact that she's like this psycho PTA mother. <laughs> and it was like really brilliant and a lot of fun. Um, so, I mean, it's, it, 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 John has always seen me as kind of a, as a sexual terrorist. He's just, right. you know, he, he started teasing me about that. I think he formed that opinion, if not before he met me, definitely on the set of Crybaby, because he always said that, you know, when I walked down the street, the people just dropped over. I never really quite saw that, but that's how he, he saw me. And that, you know, that, that I just had a thing. I would raise an eyebrow and I would have them on, on their knees. That's how uh-huh. he saw me. Uh-huh. I wish it had been actually that easy in my life, yeah. but, <laughs> but he always, he always saw it like that. So he wanted to play on that idea. I think in serial mom where I, you know, I flip out because my, my boyfriend has just been killed and then I see a hot cop and I'm like, Hey, right. and yeah, so yeah. He wanted that quick turn. Anytime, you know, John asks me, I would go and do two lines for him. It doesn't matter. Um, Just because the experience is just always, I mean, it really is always a blast. 
Yeah, Crybaby was the next one I was going to ask you about. And I, I believe Hatchet Face passed away. Did you? Am I right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Several years ago. H- Hatchet Face passed away. Susan Tyrell passed away. I love Susan Tyrell. Oh, my God. So Me too. Yeah, so yeah. good. So brilliant. I mean, and, and completely and totally out of her mind when I met her. Um, yes. You know, Crybaby because she was really on the sauce then she was oh. drinking a, yeah. mm-hmm. and she you know we lived in a all the whole cast practically uh-huh. lived in a little hotel um called the tremont in in baltimore um just off the main drag there uh-huh. and so you had you had some like young actors that were really you know that point where you're just kind of full of yourself but you don't really know what you're doing i mean mm-hmm. i was t- I think Johnny was the oldest. He was maybe 24, 25. And, you know, then there were the, you know, our elders like Iggy Pop, Mr. Pop mm-hmm. was there, mm-hmm. Susan was there. And then there were the us kids. The mm-hmm. kids were there, there. So there were all these tears, but you had Johnny upstairs and Ricky was down the hall and this one. And so the bar, there was always something going on. Someone mm-hmm. was always in trouble in that hotel. And mm-hmm. I think John, he was so cool about it because he was, you know, he, 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 there was definitely, you know, a, a tremendous amount of respect for him, but yeah. that didn't keep him from misbehaving as you do when you're, you know, in your 20s somewhere roaming around a new city. And right. so we would get notes under our door. And I don't know if he slipped them under or had them because obviously he wasn't at the hotel. He was at his house. But we would get these notes from production from him. And it would just say, heavy hangs the head that last night wore the crown and you wake up like, Oh God. And then you go into dance rehearsal. It would be the jitterbug blaring through the, through the speakers. And it was his way of just saying, behave now. So <laughs> I'm a massive fan of Iggy pop. Any Iggy pop memories? You know, Iggy was, Iggy at that point, I think Iggy was the, the most sober play, person on that, cast or crew not that everybody was always drunk but he was taking a break from it all and he showed up with his beautiful asian wife whose name i can't can't remember um but she they they just kind of did their thing they were the cutest lovebirds and you know i had i was a little bit starstruck by him and that doesn't happen to me often but it was a huge like just wow that is iggy pop um yeah and still, I mean, there's that scene in Crybaby where he sits in this like little outdoor tub of water and he's going to take his bath and th- th- he's got his legs like practically wrapped behind the back of his neck. And he was that kind of like wild. If you Have you seen him on stage? Oh, yeah. Oh, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Did either of you see him at Boogaloo just a couple of years ago? That was I the did. most insane show I've ever been to in my life. Yeah, I, I saw him at that show too. And like, uh, and I was like, I, I did not know now that he has like, uh, he has a hobble. He he has you know, he, so, so many years of throwing himself around on stage that mm-hmm. now he, he has a, a leg that's shorter than the other one. I never knew that before. I so have he, a hobble from that show. <laughs> i have a hobble from life <laughs> yeah right well let's talk about your project so now you've got a movie coming out soon it's called nicole her ex and the killer this is a bob atkins and nicole Tabau picture about a woman's battle with an overbearing family and a creepy ex on a twisted journey you play the mother uh what can you tell us about this 
You know, it's a really, it's a, it's an interesting, our careers are funny this way. And right now I'm getting to play a lot of sort of overbearing, sort of twisted serial killers or uh, mothers that have some sort of, you know, demented something with them. Um, so I think I'm finally finding my stride here. Um, <laughs> yes. And so in this one, um, definitely, it, it, you know, it's a thriller. And I just play a really overbearing mother that I don't approve of my daughter, her life, anything she's done. That part was actually, you know, I had to let go of a lot because I am normally Tracy is just somebody that kind of believes in like live and let live. And that's not who this is at all. This woman is definitely a bit too caught up in what she thinks God is and how people should dress and act and behave. And she's a bit more of a Puritan that way. So it, you know, that part of it, it's hard not to sometimes judge characters because you don't necessarily like them. She was one that I didn't necessarily like, but I found it exciting to play her because it was a, just a different side to show, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and you're working on two more films. I know is, is, is one of these, uh, the waking up dead or the farm is one of these, the ones you, the one you were just talking about that's filming in Indiana. Uh, that's the farm. So okay. I'm, I'm going to go to Indiana um, uh, to, to make this movie that's set in 1910. Uh-huh. And it's about this serial killer named Belganis. She oh, was, yeah, she, her, yeah, yes, and so this is about her life, and it's pretty out there. Um, you know, of, of course, I've like looked and tried to find as much information about her as I can, and you know, read so many things that the directors sent and and the pieces of it all. But there's some things about her that are are pretty uh, twisted and intense, and just. Um, it's a nice part to just kind of layer and stack. And I, I think that there's some different places to go with this, not necessarily places that I want to go. Right. I, I could see how it's exciting. It's definitely fascinating why she did the things that she did. When I first got the script, um, my manager had sent it to me and I said to my husband, she, I don't know about this one. I mean, there's some things in here that are pretty, they're, they're pretty gruesome. I don't know if I want to do this. And then you just, the fact that it is a real person, you know, that she existed and it's not some make believe, whatever, mm-hmm. um, sort of bothered me. You always want to portray people uh, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. but at the same time you have the, the director's take on things. You have the writer's take on things. You have all of those things. And plus with bell, people didn't really know what happened to her. There was a whole mystery. And some people believe that she was, you know, killed in this fire that she started. And, other people believe that she got away and she just left, you know, a, a, um, a piece, some of the bones, the head, her head was always missing. And was then it? there were sightings, uh, sightings yeah. of her later that said that she was, you know, lived in California. So there were all these things. So on one hand, I get a lot of leeway to sort of bring my take to it. But mm-hmm. on another, you don't want to, you know, sort of disrespect what really was. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, what what exactly was her backstory? Was she she murdered guests that stayed on her farm or what? No, she was like a lonely hearts killer. That's what she oh, was. So right. she would she would put up these like ads, like comely wealthy comely widow looking for fine gentlemen to combine, you know, hearts and love and land with, like those kinds of things. And she was 
she was a very seductive woman. She was, she used her beauty. She used her, she was very smart and she was really, she was really, um, she was off, definitely off, like emotionally. Uh, I guess the, the, the backstory, as much as I've been able to see of it, is that she grew up in a circus and her father was, um, made her be a tight, like basically a tightrope walker and she was not good at it. She had big feet. And mm-hmm. so she would fall and, and her father accused her of ruining the circus. And so this would happen to her when she was like eight and nine years old. And so he would beat her for, for her lousy performance. And it wasn't long before he started prostituting her out. So, oh my goodness. so, so the story is that um, her first victim was her father. Oh wow! This, so, this, yeah, there's yeah. there's a lot of people I wish I could beat for their bad performances, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but let's not go there. Um, wow! Oh, that's well, that's a great that's a great story. It's pretty intense. It's really intense. Yeah. So, um, oh yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And then waking up dead is gonna you know it's gonna be this one will be in L.A. Uh-huh. And, you know, I play, I play an agent in it and it's got some fabulous people in it. And I love the story of it. It is this beautiful, young, gay Latin man, you know, that's in his, I don't know, late twenties. And he's, he's come to LA and he's kind of had things you know, pretty easy. He's beautiful enough and talented enough that doors have opened for him. And, you know, he, he likes to party and has a little bit of a Coke habit and he starts to you know, kind of tank. He he's hit his mark, and he's still this gorgeous guy, but he's not the cute young kind of you know cheeky thing that just came to town when he was twenty. Mm-hmm. But so he he his body's growing up, but his mind hasn't yet. He stops booking, and so it's just that story of really Hollywood and what happens, how how people can be you know lured into it and want to stay because they think I'm just one job away. I want one job away. And then you get that job and then it doesn't really fill that hole. So it's his story in that way. Mm-hmm. Um so it's just that it's that whole 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 um you know dialogue that goes on. Mm-hmm. And um you know I play just I play his agent in it and she's just really just a straight talker and funny and rude and crude. And so it's a comedy. So mm-hmm. this one will be a big departure from going and being the murderer on the farm. So <laughs> I'm seeking balance. I really am. Well, speaking of funny, uh, you know, the, at the Frameline Film Festival last year, I went to go see Steam Room, the movie. Now this was, oh, okay. uh, it, it was based on a successful web series called Steam Room Stories uh-huh. that already has like 52 million YouTube views, but yeah, now it's a movie. And uh, I was really surprised to see you in it. I wasn't, I didn't know that. Tell us about your role as Sally Faye. Yeah. So, um, JC wrote this script and I, you know, I had never met him before screenwriter mm-hmm. and I went in on an audition for this. Um, and I just had my take on her. And when I read the script, I laughed, I thought it was really funny. And I thought it was, I love the idea of this, you know, this aging cosmetic giant that has decided I'm absolutely determined to find the fountain of youth so that I can restore my falling face. <laughs> that is my goal. <laughs> I'm like, oh God, my neck, I need to fix this. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the team behind Steam Room Stories, they, they were just so game. And 
you know, I, I, I walked in and I auditioned for that role and I got that role the next day. So that was really, we just clicked, it clicked. That role was, it was like he wrote it for me. It was really a lot of fun to do. And, um, you know, I, I got to torture everybody. It was such great fun. That was a fun movie. Yeah, the entire cast was there, and I was like, "Why isn't Tracy here?" Which which festival did you see? Yeah, that? The fr- frame line. Fr- it was the oh, gay okay. lesbian, San Francisco Gay and Lesbian Film Festival. Yeah, he um, he wanted. I think I was working on something else. I remember because I went to a bunch of them. Oh yeah. Uh, so we're going to shift gears a little bit here. We have a segment where we have a call. A fan has a call-in question for you. Okay. Um, so it's a. So I'm going to let Mark take it away. Um, so we have a fan who whose name is Heather Och. She's a, a femme film director who has some projects out there, and she's a big fan of yours. She has a question. What is your dream role, or what is the dream movie that you would make? You know, it's funny when people ask me what my dream role is because it's 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 just I think pretty much impossible, at least for me, to just sort of sum it up and and like one, one part, um, what I always look for just thing to do things different that I haven't done before. I think that, you know, and going into the farm, um, playing Belle Guinness is, is pretty dreamy role because there's just so many levels to her as an actor. Um, I think for me, more than a dream role, it's dream writing. I just keep looking and praying for better writing, you know. Yeah. Um, that's what we want. I want I want the comedy to be funny. I want things to be fresh. I like things that are real. I don't mind doing things that are very, very broad and over the top and playing with things. But then I really like roles, no matter what role I take, if it's comedy, drama, whatever, that has a heart to it. Does that make sense? It's I always have to figure out, even you know, playing a murderer like Belle Geddes, why did she do what she did? Because if I can't relate to her in some way, personally, I can't do it. You know, when I first got that script, I said to my husband, I don't know if I can do this. And then three, four days later, I said, I think I understand why she did that. And he went, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's a follow-up for you. So you've you've definitely been involved in bringing projects to life. Like, I think you directed uh, Sweet Pea, right? In Mm -hmm. 2005. So if you were able to direct a a film, you know, what kind of movie would you want to make? Well, I've always thought that I would go more toward making just, you know, um, drama. Um, but maybe that's not true. I've been thinking uh, maybe it's because we're the, 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 the way the world is right now. I'm so much more, you know, excited by creating comedy. I think we need to laugh more now than ever. I would love to do something perhaps in the, genre of a you know a john waters something that is kind of a little there is only one john waters mind you but something that is a little larger than life would be fun to do and a character like an ab fab character a patsy or something would be fun to play i tried to give a little bit of a spin on that type of character and sort of try it out with our role in east siders that you know was up for Emmys last night. Kit, I think, uh, just uh, tweeted last night that he he feels like he you know he'll, he'll never win. He's denied again. So they have a good sense of humor about it. But I, th- I think it's it, it would be fun to do something that was sort of a broad comedy. Yeah. All right. All you sc- screenwriters out there listening, you know, great opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Right. I welcome scripts. It's it's the I'm wondering what all of this is going to do to you know art as far as yeah. 
you know, what people have been writing in quarantine. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of art, a lot of art's going to come. A lot of art comes out of really, really challenging situations. I remember there was, uh, it's, it's like, I can't, it's uncountable how many great pieces of art came up around the AIDS epidemic and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, these things do call for some sort of artistic response, um, for sure. Uh, so can, let's switch gears a little bit. Can I ask you about music? Sure. So, uh, A Thousand Fires came out, which was a big sensation in the club world. Did you travel around a lot with that, with uh, performing at clubs? I seem to remember that you did. Yeah. um, Well, I was trying to figure out how do you go and perform live when you have a techno record? How's this going to work? Yeah. Um, (laughs) You know, how am I going to do this? Um, And so, you know, I ended up going out as a DJ and opening up for Thrill Kill Cult Moby for the Enet um, festival that was, you know, at the after hours, basically, of Lollapalooza. Perry Farrell had asked me to do that, and I, I, I can't remember exactly how I met him, but I did. It was, it, was, it was one of those probably late nights at the Viper Room, who knows. And anyway, so he, he had put that request in with my record company, and they thought that, that that was a really good way for me to sort of cross-promote myself. It was still, you know, a credible kind of form. Not a, There were no female DJs, not really. Maybe right. one or two, few and far between. So there yeah. was all of that. And, um, and so I, I toured all over the place. I had a this fabulous woman that was my, my road manager. And she actually, she was the one that taught me how to spin. Um, and we were really using records then and not pre-doing anything. And so there was a lot of time hours in the, the garage with Donna Montel was her name. And, mm-hmm. and she was incredible. And she was a six foot two gorgeous lesbian um, that used to pick guys up and throw them off my step, my stage. <laughs> I loved her so much. <laughs> we still talk all the time. She's uh, she's, she plays, you know, she's a resident DJ down at the Abbey these days, but um, you know, we had a really good time. We toured for about four months, I guess, while that was all going on. Yeah. And it was, it was such a trip. Wow. So you've dabbled like, in everything now pretty much. Music, well, yeah. re- Renaissance woman. Well, I was just trying to figure out, you know, where do I fit? What do I do? You know, how do we, how do you keep stretching? How do you create? How do you how do you keep pushing yourself? What is it? You know, is it? It was it was it was a really interesting time for me, nineteen ninety six, because yeah. you know it, it was like the, the days of late ninety five, early ninety six. My my album came out. It was like I had one of the first, you know, early people weren't really sure what techno was yet. They kind of knew but didn't. You know, it was it, you know at the same time I was on Melrose Place, which was kind of like weird parallels to everything. Yeah. But you know, it, people were excited. It was the nineties were a party time, weren't they? Yes, they definitely were. I mean, as much as people say that about the eighties and they certainly were, but the nineties to me, those were fun days. Yeah. It was yeah. Uh, well Clubland was still interesting and well, you know, I think you and I are both the same age. I when I came when I was a teenager and early and a young adult, I was so drugged out and all that stuff. I partied so hard. By the time I was twenty one, I was like uh, I think I'm done now. You know what I mean? Yeah, the 80s absolutely. The 80s were crazy for sure. I definitely never missed an episode of uh, Melrose Place if Ricky was on. I can tell you that. But I was a uh, oh, really? formative years of my youth. <laughs> well, Mark? there you go. And once again, I mean, what was I like this 
psychopath. <laughs> so for some reason, I keep getting cast as psychopaths. I don't understand it. Oh, I don't know, because you're definitely the sweetest, the sweetest lady and mom. And you know, and, and you know what? I guess, well, yeah, because I've gotten to know you a little bit. And, and, I ta- and, you know, you tell me about your wonderful husband and your son and your home life. And it's, it's so funny because I have, uh, you know, we are the same age. And I, I definitely went through my wild years really early on. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yes, now, I do. And now I'm I'm just looking out at my yard and I have landscapers here and you know my 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 life is so is like what's the next recipe I'm going to try? You know what I mean? It's kind of like I'm settling down and you have settled down. Um and how is domestic life? You, you are you loving it? Well, it's interesting because I feel like in some in some ways you're you're absolutely spot on about I mean, my life has changed. It's, it's not, I'm not doing the things that I was doing when I was in my twenties. I'm not doing the things I was doing in my thirties. It's, it has definitely changed, but I mean, I still, there's definitely a domestic side of me where I just want to go and dig in my garden and, you know, my tomatoes are incredible right now. And this Mm -hmm. has been like a forced kind of, you know, period of time for everybody. And, and I haven't, you know, missed a lot of the noise. So I like that part of it. And I think one of the most, truly one of the most important roles I've ever played is that of mother. Truly. I mean, he, yeah. And it's also been the most difficult thing I've ever done. So yeah. you're not just not prepared for it. And it sort of, you know, it happened later in life. It, 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 you know, I got pregnant at 38. So it's, you know, we weren't trying that just was, that just happened. Mm-hmm. So but we'd already been together for six or seven years or something. My, I've known my husband for a long time and we're very, very close friends and he's an amazing father. And he is, you know, he worships me and he respects me and he, he is flat out blunt with me when he needs to be. And so it's, that's, that's a great thing. Um, so I, I definitely have that kind of, you know, with lack of a better word, grounding about my life for sure. And I value it so much. But mm-hmm. I also have the artistic side where I want to go and venture forth and I want to do, you know, women behind bars. And I want to do things that, that scare me. I want to do yeah. things that challenge me. I, I'm not ready to just say, okay, then they're done that. I'm finished. I don't think I'm finished. Oh no! Um, I, yeah, I mean, like the thing is, is like, I I definitely like my life settled down and stuff, but I still can't really relate to my neighbors here who are totally, uh, you know, totally nine to five and everything is so predictable. I do still need some um, some risks and some adventure in my life, and yeah, I think, I think you and I are uh, are kind of like we're we're a bit similar in that sense. I can feel a, a kindred spirit. Well, there you go. I mean, it is a, it's a balance, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I love, I love the, just the support and the safety and the, the ease, but I also want to go and shake my ass sometimes. That's just the way it is. Well, you're a rebel at heart. That's why. <laughs> I think um, I'm just, I'm just born that way. <laughs> All right. So now we're coming to the end of the podcast and I have the most important question to ask you. This is very serious. What is your favorite memory of Heclina? Well, I can tell you. I don't know that there's just one. <laughs> I can t- I can tell you that I I really I loved some of our early conversations when we were going to do that crazy movie in San Francisco. <laughs> oh God! And, and I can't remember the name of it. Oh God, I don't remember. But remember, we 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 did a show together in Los Angeles and. 
Claudia was in the audience who had, who actually went and did that movie. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember you on stage with a microphone going to Claudia, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I remember (laughs) that. (laughs) But you know, I never, I don't think, I think she was mad at me for a while actually after that. But yeah. It was it was just a disaster. I, I mean, I've tried. I think I've tried to describe it to you how that movie was, but words kind of fail me. What a disaster that movie shoot was. But but did it ever come out? Did you ever um, finish it? No, it got shut down by by uh, SAG. I remember that, but it, yeah. it, it never was revived. It was never revived. No, it was just wow. It was completely canned. And um, how about that director writer? Did he ever resurface? I saw him at something, and he said. I didn't want to even talk to him or look at him, but he he said that he uh, was still doing movies. He just treated everybody so badly, and you know, really, and whatever, mm. whatever. And I, I, yeah, um, but you definitely dodged a bullet there, and I was so happy to to, to commiserate with you uh, uh, at that show in Los Angeles. And well, I, I hope that we actually get a chance to do something else together. That would be a lot of fun. That would be fun. You know what I'm going to do with the rest of my quarantine? I'm going to write something for you and I to do together. I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tracy, I cannot thank you enough for doing this podcast. It was such an honor to have you. Oh, thank you so much for asking, truly. <sighs> and everybody out there listening should be sure to go to tracylords.com. Um, that's where you can keep up with what's going on in Tracy's world, as well as shop her divine collection of branded clothing, accessories, including the Beat It Creep pin set, which I love, and the Wanda Paper Doll book, which Mark is obsessing over. Is that right? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Make someone's dreams come true by ordering an autographed 8x10 for that favorite Tracy fan in your life at tracylords.com. As for me, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Hecklina. Subscribe to the show. Like us, rate us, tell anyone you can about Drag Time with Heclina. Check out our website and create some comments on past episodes you liked. And most importantly, thank you, Tracy Lords. Yes, My you. pleasure. Thank Got you it. so much. <laughs> thank you, Tracy Lords. Join us next week when our special guest is Animatronic. Our podcast artwork photograph is by Jose Alberto Guzman Colon. The graphics are by Nancy French. This episode was recorded, edited, and produced by me. I'm Mike.